0: I'm Annemarie Cox, and you think that I'm not a hunter, but that's what makes me so dangerous. You can't see that I'm killing you. Holy fuck. (laughs) Hi,
1: I'm Daniel Dresner, and I'm smarter than a beaver.
0: (laughs) Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of...
1: Democratic security regimes.
0: And (laughs) eco-nihilism. Today, we'll be talking about prey. We are almost at the end of hot sci-fi summer dan this is our penultimate episode correct Uh, we're going to do a special episode in which you and i review our own personal hot sci-fi summers
1: right Including not just the sci-fi stuff we watched, but also the other stuff we enjoy. Well, whatever we yes. liked. Yes, exactly.
0: What we did on our summer vacation, Dan. Ooh, that is oh, this what is we're awesome! Doing.
1: <laughs> and that's actually the perfect transition to fall because, like, you always had to do that, you know, yep. when you went back to school. This I is like our that. That's great.
0: Audio: What I did on my summer vacation. Awesome essay. Yes,
1: I like this. This will be good. Yes.
0: And that actually is a change from what we thought we were going to be doing. We thought we were going <laughs> to be doing for all mankind, but Dan is taking some much deserved I I would call it a victory lap actually let's
1: (laughs) I would call it a survival lap like you know that that's the way I sort of think of it in in much in the same way that this movie is themed on that it's like you know I survived a very treacherous time in in our world's history and I did so with my wife and so as a result we're going to go celebrate by going somewhere really fancy
0: you're going to go someplace fancy the opposite of the places we've been talking about. That
1: is much. correct, yes. We are definitely yeah. not going to, you know, the Great Northern Plains.
0: <laughs> we're beautiful. We'll talk more about we're that. We are gorgeous, yeah. yeah. Super pretty uh, oh, scenery yeah. in this movie. Mm-hmm. If you aren't already a patron, please consider becoming one. Uh, our Patreon page is at patreon.com space the nation. You get stuff. Mainly, you get access to our episodes early. Mm-hmm. You also can join our AMAs. Mm-hmm you can join our discord mm-hmm. there is swag that has become something of a joke about capitalism <laughs> because it's never actually gotten made but someday yeah. there will be swag
1: if people and want
0: it If and people are willing want it. to pay for it yes and are willing to pay for it but if you don't want to pay for swag or a patreon subscription dan how can folks help
1: well You know, one thing that costs nothing is to rate and review the show and to tell your friends and neighbors about it if you enjoy it. You can also reach us on social media, primarily Twitter. I am at Dan Dresner. She is at Anna Marie Cox.
0: And you can also, you know, tweet about the show. Tell yes. people how much you love it and Please tag do. us. Yeah, because so it happens sometimes. A quick
1: shout out to Matt Duss here, who is a, a staffer to Bernie Sanders and also shares my tastes like almost perfectly when it comes to 80s movies and clearly enjoy the Highlander episode. So.
0: Shout out to Matt Duss. Yes. I hope you're telling Bernie about all these messages, <laughs> these anti-capitalist messages that exist in 80s sci-fi films. <laughs> Yes. Have you screened They Live for Bernie <laughs> <Yeah>. yet? <laughs>
1: oh, that's, that really should happen. Yeah, get on that I bet he's seen it. Oh, probably. I bet he's
0: seen it. Yeah. Dan, we are talking about Prey. Why are we talking about Prey? Prey
1: seems like the perfect transition from hot sci-fi summer 80s edition to more recent sci-fi contact, which we'll be getting to. Uh, Prey is a, one of the many sequels to Predator. <laughs> Although this is really one of the more bizarre franchises if you take a look at all the different Mm -hmm. movies that have actually come out but you know this one uh was uh, we
0: decided we were gonna do it before anyone knew much about it yeah except for i knew that they were going to be performing it partially in comanche Mm -hmm. and also distributing it dubbed in comanche which seemed really cool Mm -hmm. but not a guarantee of an actually good movie no sometimes movies can be very well-meaning and then not be good.
1: Not be good. But I think both Anna and I thought this was a good movie. In fact,
0: I really liked it, yes. and not just because of the dog. But <laughs> but,
1: but the dog didn't hurt the Anna. Dog didn't assume. hurt. That's, I will say right. when I when I started watching this, I was like, "Oh, Anna's gonna love this movie <laughs> so much." Yes,
0: it is true, and you were right, <laughs> Dan. What was your Chekhov's what's-it for this movie?
1: So my Chekhov's what's-it, just to review, this is the thing that appears very often in the first act that winds up becoming relevant to the plot come the third act. My Chekhov's what's-it was Chekhov's sozia, which that was at least how I'm pronouncing it based on what I saw in the closed captions. That is the orange flower oh. that Naru uses as a drug to you know, basically lower the body temperature of various wounded people as well as you know, playing an important role in her eventual victory. What about you? I one? had
0: to go with Chekhov's bog. Yeah, and I'll say I called it as soon as that scene happened. I was like, She's "Yeah, no, you trap need- the predator in this bog." <laughs> I
1: have to admit, like, I actually—how would I put this? When I first saw it, I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's going to come back." But then, as the movie went on, I was like, "Wait, was that just a fake out? Like an homage to to Schwarzenegger and so forth?" So I was actually glad to see that it, it did re- make a re- return. There
0: is points. also a Chekhov's gun.
1: There is. That's true, Anna. Although I'm not sure that works in this case, because to be fair, the gun doesn't appear until I think the second half of the film.
0: That's true. So it's yes. not literally a first act. It's also not literally a gun that belongs to Chekhov. But that's also an issue. <laughs> Let's move on to the viewing experience that we had.
1: Sounds good. Go ahead, Anna.
0: This is available only on Hulu. It's actually a little bit of a surprise to people that it wasn't released in theaters. Mm-hmm. So I watched on Hulu with Exley. I sent Dan a picture of me <laughs> and Exley, and I had a big bowl of popcorn, and I swear to God, Exley was into it.
1: I can assert all these things. Now, I'm curious, Ana, when Exley... Can Exley, like... Is Exley interested in dogs on the screen, or, like, does Exley not notice? Because, like, my Mimi has no... Anything that appears on like we, we joke that for Mimi that just she just calls the TV a rectangle because she like has no <laughs> right, right. she has no so idea it, what's on it. And, and like even if there's a dog barking on it, pays no attention to it whatsoever. But that's it's not true of all dogs. What
0: will what will capture his attention. He was at one point watching the movie. Oh, okay. like seriously. But I will say the animal in the house that really is fascinated by televisions is, is the <laughs> murder kitten. Is Molly murder kitten. Molly Murder Kitten, who is learn? she jumps up on them, she wants to attack them, <laughs> only I've, I have a couple TVs, one of them is on a you know console and that's the one I worry about because she, I think I've said this before, she'll yeah. leap up behind it and then do like Hang In There Friday, Hang yeah. In There It's Friday Kitten on the back <laughs> of the TV. The TV in my bedroom is mounted on the wall. She is eyeing it. Oh, she that's is not like, good. She'll sit at the end of my bed and I can see her just like...
1: That's her K2 now?
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll let uh, y'all know how that works out.
1: I too watched it on Hulu. Even though there's not a ton of dialogue, I watched it with the closed captioning on, which I actually think was... I'm not going to lie, comes in handy at times. It um,
0: does, although they don't translate the French. I no, actually looked and, up the French. <laughs> but I was also happy.
1: I, je parle un petit peu de français, and oh, so as okay. a result, I caught enough of the French by reading it to get a sense of what they were going
0: for, so that was cool. And what, you know, I, I habla un poquito espanol in yeah, yeah. romance languages, you know, yeah, like yeah, I yeah. kind of got the gist of it as well, right. but I also looked it up. I watch everything with closed captioning, Dan, so oh, wow. I, I wanted to add here, though, so this is looking to be one of the biggest streaming openings ever it should be frankly i've actually yeah. I, We should. i think it's hard to get numbers on this but everyone's right. everyone's saying it's one of the most successful launches on a streaming service ever i'm not
1: surprised this is a seamless transition i would add to the story behind the story because this has a cinematic feel to it this is a this yeah. is a movie that i suspect would be even better to watch on a big screen because among other things there is some gorgeous scenery that we see and i suspect like the fighting would also be really good on the big screen, which raises the question, how did this wind up on Hulu? And, you know, I, I assume it's just part of the general weirdness that is the Predator franchise, so, you
0: know. Yeah, I don't... I actually didn't find out much about why it was on Hulu. Ah, I know okay. Dan Trachtenberg is the director. He right. is... This is his only his second film. And his first And his first Cloverfield one... Cloverfield
1: 10. 10 Cloverfield Lane, Lane which also... Uh, I have to say, in some ways, it, it within only two films, he's carved out a niche, which is making movies that, like, are part of a larger universe, but don't actually have to be. Like, it yeah. works in them. Like, but 10 Cloverfield Lane is perfectly fine within the Cloverfield thing. But, like, it's also just a really good film on its own, and really that's only, like, the cherry on top. And I kind of felt that way with this as well.
0: I've read a couple things about it, including the fact that he... Did not see the first movie. He was too young. But his memory of it is that kids in his karate class talked about it a lot. Mm -hmm. And he had this indelible memory of them describing a fight scene where Billy, Mm -hmm. who is the ambiguously indigenous... (laughs) Actually, I discovered that he is... uh, He's Native American, I believe. Part part Sioux. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Part Sioux. Billy is killed in some fantastic way. Mm -hmm. Now, if you may recall... There isn't actually a scene of Billy's death.
1: No, and, and both Anna and I were not crazy about the way that Billy actually died. Although, which,
0: that one of the yeah. Easter eggs in yeah. this movie is a homage to Billy carving himself up.
1: That is correct, yes.
0: So, But it turns out to be a kind of a Mandela effect thing, because he had this memory of Billy mm-hmm. having this really great death scene, but that isn't actually a part of the movie. But at some point, he decided, wouldn't it be cool to tell the Predator story from Billy's point of view?
1: Oh, okay. Okay. That's, and, and that led to this plot, which, is, led which this? is great. Yeah.
0: Apparently the script floated around for a few years. His campaign to make it was mm-hmm. not helped by the fact that the last Predator movie, directed by Predator star Shane Black,
1: yeah. kind of sucked. It did kind of suck. I mean, really, more than just kind of, Anna. It, it's it's easily the worst film in the franchise. And that might include the Alien v. Predator film. So, yeah.
0: But he was yeah. very passionate about it. He actually uh, got a indigenous uh, person on board uh, one of the producers is enrolled Mm -hmm. in a couple of tribes i'm blanking on which Mm -hmm. and it's important to note this movie has primarily a a first nations indigenous cast Mm -hmm. the role of her brother Mm -hmm. is played by dakota beaver this is his first film ever
1: And, hey, props to him because he is really good in this.
0: Amazing. (laughs) Yes. Very, very, very good. Uh, I hope hope
1: this is not his last role. He deserves a lot more opportunities. He's
0: charming and handsome and charismatic. And the relationship is one of my favorite things in the movie. Yeah. Like, it's a very believable sibling relationship, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he's delightful. And it's apparently his first film. And it was the first time acting for a few of them. Mm -hmm. They went way over what they probably needed to do to to make it realistic and mm-hmm. have consultants on the language and the dress and all of that. But, Dan, you know, I only had so much time <laughs> to do a story behind the story. So what I really want to talk about yes. is Coco. <laughs> <laughs> the Meryl Streep of Fox.
1: I'm shocked, Anna, that that you want to talk about the dog. But let's talk about Coco, who
0: is is a vital part of the film. Um, Like she plays Sari, yes, the hero of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna push back
1: a little bit. She's she's a vital supporting character for long
0: stretches of time, but very very vital role.
1: Yes, right.
0: Uh, We're gonna read some from a behind the scenes uh, little trailer they did. (laughs) Amber Mid Thunder who plays Naru. You know, I love that dog with my whole heart and soul, but it was rough. But
1: right.
0: yes. <laughs> you know, this dog. I don't know where she came from. They got her like two months before the movie, and she had so much energy. So much of Coco being around was her like running wild and doing laps and just so excited to see everyone all the time. <laughs> so for me personally, she was a dream. For making a movie, well, you know, the character of Sari is very different from the character of Coco. <laughs> And that shows what a good filmmaker Dan is. Yes. <laughs> that, is, that is a first of all, that is an A
1: plus interview by Mid Thunder. Like, you know, to like <laughs> basically make it clear the dog was a fucking nightmare to work with, but you know No,
0: no, no. I'm yes. gonna read Trachtenberg on this. Okay, go as ahead. Well. Sure. Yeah, it was a huge difference. <laughs> the making of the movie and the watching of the movie. The making of the movie was how can we get Coco out of this scene? How can we <laughs> shoot her and get her away? In the watching movie, we were developing it and showing it to our friends and family, and they were like, more dog. We love the dog. Add more dog. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't understand. We can't. We are using every usable frame of this dog. There is not one extra frame that had the dog doing what it's supposed to do. <laughs> but she was awesome. And the challenge, as Amber stated, it's a dog we believe is accurate to the time. It's called a Carolina dog. Mm -hmm. And it's not as though they've been training this dog for years and years like they do most movie dogs. Right. I will say, so we, like, that... We did the best we could, which I do I do think she's fantastic. She
1: is, no, 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 like, this this is an example of the power of good editing and directing, because you're right, because, like, the dog is fantastic in the film, and I, I was surprised when I learned that the dog apparently was a little more of a handful on set than you would have expected.
0: Because you had told me that before I watched it, I yeah. did watch it kind of seeing that, and there was a couple of scenes where she kind of bounds off, and I was like, I recognize that behavior. <laughs> I recognize what happens when a dog nopes out, is what we call it in training. Where a dog's like, see ya, done, not gonna perform anymore. (laughs) Exley has a very, like, short, low tolerance for training. He'll, like, do stuff for a little while, and it's just really fun for him. And then he's like, eh, my thing now. (laughs) Trachtenberg has a point. It is a dog that is, as far as we know, pretty faithful to the dogs that may have been around then. Mm -hmm. And... Maybe Coco was doing a bit of method acting. Yeah. Those dogs were barely domesticated. They were often interbred with wolves. They had their jobs were pretty loosely defined. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I did find a quote from a book from the 19th century called Among the Indians. And he, the author, Henry Bowler, an anthropologist, I think, describes how, let's see, The women shouldered their axes and led down the trail, followed by the dogs trotting demurely along in single file. Before long, the woods resonated with the dull strokes of the axes, mingled constantly with the shrill voices of the women scolding their dogs, who very naturally (laughs) liked to vary the dull routine of everyday life by getting into a little rough and tumble fight among themselves. Aw, that's adorable! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, I, I'm going to say that Coco is doing method. Coco is the product of the Fulton uh, County Animal Shelter. So right, I, so the, the movie adopted
1: the dog, correct? Like yes. Like the production cut, co- yes. which does raise the question, where is Coco now? Do we have any So I,
0: I read for that, and okay. I am assuming they're keeping the family anonymous for okay, good. reasons. Yeah, yeah. But she was adopted by a family connected to the movie.
1: <laughs> good. So that did not just go to a farm upstate. That's good to know. She did okay, not go yep. to
0: a farm upstate. I'm, okay. I think she has a future. Yes. I, I do. Yes. She's a diamond in the rough, There you Coco. Go. Yeah. Yes. So I... I'm very happy to have shared all that I enjoyed <laughs> reading about there's not that much about her but I predict more will happen she's a real internet star I did not invent the Meryl Streep of dogs <laughs> it was on something on Twitter yes but we should move on to to the, actually what she and you know the less important human stars
1: do all right let's get to the plot let's start with act one sisters are hunting for themselves Welcome to the Great Northern Plains in September 1719. Here to greet you is Naru, a Comanche girl trying to complete her kutamiya, a rite of passage that requires her to hunt something that hunts her back. Naru is whip-smart, observant, knowledgeable about herbal medicines, and pretty handy with a hand axe, but she has not quite developed the instinct for the death blow, as it were, unlike her big brother, Tabe. Paki, a member of the tribe, is taken by a mountain lion. Naru and her trusty sidekick dog, Sari, want to go, but Tabi lets her join the search party only for her medical skills. Naru tracks Paki and is able to treat him while the rest of the search party builds a stretcher. They head back to camp while Tabi stays behind to kill the lion. Finding suspiciously big tracks and a skinned rattlesnake, which trust me no mountain lion is doing, Naru <laughs> thinks there is something more dangerous than the mountain lion and circles back to warn Tabe. Together, they set a trap for the cougar using Naru's plan. The mountain lion jumps into Naru's tree branch. She wounds it, but, distracted by a burst of light in the distance, falls off the branch and loses consciousness. When she awakens, she learns that Tabe carried her home and returned to kill the weakened cougar. Ana, we talk a lot on this podcast about world building, and I, I would say that the thing about the world building of this Comanche community is. It's incredibly economical. It does not take that long to get a sense of who Naru is, who Tabe is, and what their role is in this community. Would that be a safe statement?
0: I think it's one of the best parts of the film. Mm -hmm. I think it shows... I think the involvement of indigenous people, because there's not much time spent at all, kind of showing them like being indigenous. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like- there, there's no,
1: for lack of a better putting it, I apologize. There's no <laughs> Indian splaining in this. Yes,
0: right. It's yeah. just you're just dropped into their world. Yeah. yeah, and there's no attempt to like make it overly true to what we stereotypically might find you mm-hmm. know in other movies one of the ways they do that and i don't know if you notice it but the language is very naturalistic hmm. and very almost like a historical like, they just, they're yeah. kind of sarcastic with each other. They have, like, a shorthand with each other.
1: Yeah, there was a brief moment where I was like, is this April Ludgate? The April Ludgate of the, like, you know, Great Northern Plains? Because, <laughs> like, Mid-Thunder looks a little like Aubrey Plaza, Circa Parks yeah. and Rec, and she has a, she had a little bit of that kind of tone. And you're right. But like, usu- the, yeah.
0: And usually in movies, and racist movies about indigenous people, they will be given dialogue that's like, uh, the way that people in you know fantasy worlds talk in English accents—they're right. like yeah, they're yeah. made to sound somehow. There's no
1: articles used, and like it's
0: a, yeah. yeah. Yeah, even if they're supposedly speaking their own language, right. it's, it's a, they're made to sound somehow like they're not facile with their own language.
1: Right. It's either that or it's the noble savage thing. It's one of those right. two tropes that are used. Exactly. Invoked. So
0: I kind yeah. of appreciated that they sounded like teenagers.
1: That's true. Yes. And this gets to. Because they
0: would sound like teenagers if you dropped, if, you know, they yeah. sounded like teenagers to each other, however it is that teenagers talked back then. Well,
1: in some ways, this gets to. The the strongest human relationship in this film is between Naru and her brother, um, Tabe. And it's an incredibly realistic and grounded one. And one that, by the way, is not like just Naru is always right and Tabe's always wrong. It's at, like, it's a, you see why both of them do the things they do and it's a mutually supportive relationship. It's kind of, yeah. it's, it's a, you know, sibling relationship and one of the more functional ones. Yeah.
0: And I was shocked as you were to find that that was uh, Dakota Beaver's first role. He's yeah. Oh, he's, he's, I, he's got a career ahead of him. No, like he,
1: sure. I mean, he plays like the, what essentially winds up being like a war leader in this tribe and you can, he is utterly believable in that. Like he's got a quiet charisma about him. It's really
0: interesting. But his care for his sister is utterly utterly believable, and the way they banter with each other is utterly believable. It's great. The
1: the key thing is his respect for her. He's quite aware of what she's good at. Yeah. All right, so let's get to Act 2. It's Kuramiya time, motherfuckers. (laughs) So, Naru is convinced from what she saw that there is something out there more dangerous than the mountain lion. After bickering with Tabe, she departs with Sari. The two of them have their adventures, including falling into a mud pit and coming across a herd of skinned bison. Spotting a grizzly bear, Naru tries to shoot it with a bow and arrow, but fails. The bear doesn't take this kindly and pursues Naru and might well have eaten her if Sari had not intervened to save the day. Nonetheless, it looks pretty bad for Naru, but then a large invisible object grabs the bear and fights with it. The Predator kills the bear, giving Naru time to escape before encountering a group of Comanches sent to find her. They tell her they're all heading back to camp. Naru doesn't like this idea, resists, and there is some serious fighting between her and the other Comanches before she's subdued. While they're waiting for Tabe, however, the Predator attacks and kills all of them except Naru. While fleeing, Naru gets caught in a metal foothold trap. This leaves her vulnerable to the predator, but it leaves her alone when she is no longer a threat, a fact Naru files away for future reference. She is then taken captive by the French voyageurs who have been scattering metal traps all over the forest and were in fact responsible for skinning the bison. I confess that as much as I enjoyed this film, I did find the first half somewhat less compelling than the second because the action, among other things, starts to heat up in the second. But it also might be that I wasn't entirely sold on Naru's determination to be a hunter, which is – I can sort of see why she wanted to be a hunter. That totally makes sense. But to be honest, her mom – at one point says that she's so good at lots of other things that why does she need to be a hunter? And she's kind of right about that, I thought. Like, she's not that very good as as a hunter in the first half of this film. And one of the things that was weird to me is that she then, like, really displays her ability to fight when she just wails the crap out of the other Comanche. And so, like, that was the (laughs) one thing that that felt a little strange in terms of transitioning.
0: I agree. I think they picked up that trope which is a a well-worn one Mm -hmm. and also it's pretty well-worn in stories about indigenous people which is the female that wants to become you know a warrior yeah i think they could have left that alone because Mm -hmm. the way that it it reads is that and i think that this must be intentional is that it's not a big deal that she's a girl right right it's just which kind of undoes it a little bit <laughs> yeah like, I, I think this is part <laughs> which i appreciate because that makes it less of a of a cliche right uh, that she's not like fighting against mm-hmm. which i mean sure patriarchy exists everywhere and everything but i kind of appreciated it just being she is someone that wants to do something different not that necessarily it's this huge struggle but I think the movie could have been even more economical, let's say, if it had just been a story about a girl who who has a kind of sibling rivalry with her brother, mm-hmm. and maybe, once, maybe that's what she's doing when he's, like, doesn't believe her that there's a predator out there. Right. Uh, because it's pretty clear she knows she can't kill it. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So... I don't know. I I mean, I I guess what I'm saying is I agree. Because I think the the evolution she has, if you took out the part about, oh, no, she's always wanted to be a hunter, Mm -hmm. the evolution she has is to realize what her real strengths are.
1: Right. Part of the issue here is that, paradoxically, the film does a very good job of making it clear that the other members of the tribe value Naru for what she is already good at. She is incredibly, you know, she's a great tracker. She's good with medicines. Like, clearly... You know, and, and she's clearly valued for that. Yeah. The problem is, I guess, she has to kind of want to be a hunter to be good enough to make it credible that she can eventually defeat the predator, I guess. So I guess in some ways it was almost like they reverse engineered from that to like give her the motivation.
0: Um, yeah. Which, it, and it's, it, it, we're talking about it more than it really bothered yeah, me. Yeah. No, it, you it's, know. It's, no, it's not a huge <laughs> thing,
1: but it was like when it, – it, it came out when she was fighting the other Comanche, where I was like, whoa, where did that come from? Like, I knew that she was – good at things like I wasn't expecting that and so that was like the only moment where I was well
0: while we're mentioning that I I want to point out that she in that scene she really only fights one other Mm -hmm. person yeah and I don't know if it's intentionally hilarious or not but I laughed the rest of her friends just like watch for like it's like a five-minute fight and they just kind of stand there and watch them be wail on each other
1: <laughs> it was pretty entertaining i'm gonna say so maybe that they, they were feeling the same thing we were yeah
0: but at the same time he does really wallop her at the end oh yeah and when he finally subdues her yeah. and that made me cringe a little because she does have a lot of violence done to her
1: I can't In. get upset. You know what? I'm going to defend the beating of women on this one. On it, No, but
0: like. <laughs> I feel mean, okay, finally. Could you, could you cut that audio? No, no.
1: <laughs> like, no was fine. I'm going to defend that just because, first of all, she did initiate the violence. Like, it was not like. Okay, she did it, okay. and she was also quite okay. ruthless. it's just in terms part of part of me just
0: like I said, I just had a cringe. I understand when he, that final, he like really gets her in the end. Yeah, Like yeah. She like he, he really subdues her at the end, true. and yeah. then I guess it's you know we'll, we'll get to the part. Then she gets beat up by the by the French dude. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I I did at one point. I'm like, wow, like she's like really.
1: She's like gone through. Like a, she goes through a journey in this film. That's a cinch. She,
0: she has yes. a real journey. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: All right. Let's get to Act Three. Let a thousand predators bloom. It turns out that the French raiders are also aware that there's a predator out there. Raphael, the raider that actually speaks Naru's language, tries to interrogate her about the predator, but she clams up. He does reveal that they've captured Tabe as well, however, and are bleeding him. The raiders then tie Nauru and Tabe to a tree as bait, laying all sorts of old-school traps for the predator. It's safe to say this does not work out according to plan, as the predator does not go for the bait, but rather for the French voyageurs. They get in a few decent shots... But their muskets also misfire a lot, and in the end, the Predator slaughters most of them in pretty ruthless fashion. Tabe and Naru manage to escape. Naru returns to the French camp to rescue Sari, while Tabe goes to get some horses. Naru stumbles across a dying Raphael, who begs for medical assistance in return for his flintlock pistol. Naru takes that trade and gives Raphael the herbal drug that causes his body temperature to drop. At that moment, the Predator shows up again at the camp. Raphael tries to play dead, and Naru sees that the creature cannot see him, only killing him when he steps on Raphael's wounded leg, and Raphael obviously winces in pain. One of the things I do like in this movie is how Dan Trachtenberg sort of uses both sound and sight markers to make it clear where the predator and Naru are in relation to each other in the forest. I was just sort of curious that worked for you. That's particularly true in the first half of the film before they actually, like actually fight each other. But like there are times where like you see one thing and you realize, Oh, that's the rabbit from the other thing. Or, you know, you hear a sound and you realize, Oh, then you hear it again and see in relation to it. I just thought that was extremely well done.
0: I'll just use the word economical again. Yes. This is a 90 minute movie, which we, we don't get a lot of these days. I appreciate a good, efficient movie Mm -hmm. and there's very little wasted imagery, wasted dialogue, wasted, you know, sound design. And it, i I really want to see more movies from this guy yeah he's you know
1: you know what actually would be good like i want to see him make a movie like it's not in a larger franchise i'm kind of curious what um, he would do yeah
0: i should have put this in story behind the story Mm -hmm. but speaking of of if we really want to see another movie from him yes he is on board to direct the reboot Uh. of waterworld
1: oh god Oh, on I have such mixed feelings about that.
0: But uh, when I say economical... Yeah. And I say water world, your obviously brain explodes because that's like matter and antimatter. Yes. So in a way, it's actually a perfect... He can't assignment. make it any
1: worse. So like, I'm actually kind of curious. That's a fair point. Yeah. And,
0: it, and an economical water world is going to be incredible. I mean, because, yeah. you know, what is bad about the movie is how fucking bloated it is, yes. right? Yes. So someone with an eye towards a very unfussy storytelling hmm.
1: that could work could be, yeah
0: it'll be very different that's it interesting all right we'll have to see
1: all right let's close with act four naru v predator Tabe arrives on horseback to rescue naru and together they weaken the creature considerably and tabi really <laughs> does put up one hell of a fight wounding the predator but he does lose his life in the end uh, naru and the predator tend to their wounds and naru launches her plan to kill it She knocks the head Frenchman unconscious, severs his legs, and gives him an unloaded gun to use him as proper predator-threatening bait. She then digests the herbs to hide her own body heat. As the Predator kills the Voyageur, Naru uses Raphael's pistol to ambush the Predator knocking off its laser targeting mask. The Predator still has a kill shot on her, but sorry, saves the day yet again, Uh, Ana. She flees further into the woods, and there is some serious stabbing that happens, including the Predator losing one arm. Naru lures the Predator back to the mud pit before using the creature's mask to turn its own projectile weapon against itself. Mission accomplished! The Predator dies from its wounds, and Naru severs its head and paints her face with its neon green blood. She brings the head and the pistol back to her tribe, where she is promoted to war chief. Naru warns that they need to move because they are no longer living in a safe space, and the Comanche live happily ever after. <laughs> Roll credits. Uh, uh. Anna, the credits do suggest—I don't know if you watch them like long enough. Like it's not like it's an after-credit scene, but like there's sort of, I assume Comanche drawings that are like su-
0: pictographs, pictographs
1: that sort of yeah. uh, tell the plot. The the last pictographs suggest that the Predators will, in fact, return en masse. And also, Raphael's pistol turns out to play a part in Predator lore, suggesting the battle will not end well for the Comanche. Because, as it turns out, this pistol was also the pistol that Danny Glover's character is given by a Predator at the end of Predator 2. Which means that, at some point, the Predators are going to get this gun back. So... I don't know. I I do admit that given the subsequent history of the tribe, maybe fighting the Predators was their best bad option. I don't know, Anna.
0: We might talk about this a little more. Maybe we can talk about it here, but it is a not very subtle point of the movie (laughs) that the real villains are the white guys. (laughs) And to me, I don't think you're wrong Mm -hmm. because in the suggested you know, worldview of the movie, the Predators and the Comanche fighting each other is more of a fair fight. Right. There is more honor. Yeah. There is uh, respect. And that's not what happens in history in terms of when the colonists uh, take over. I will say
1: this is also the smartest thing that I think Trachtenberg does in this film, which is to stress that point about the Predator. Which is that the Predator actually, like, as much as it's a big bad and so on and so forth, and this is the one consistent through line throughout all these films, it does have a code of honor, which is it doesn't hunt the helpless. It only goes <laughs> after, it, it also only hunts things that hunt can hunt back, as it were. And so that, that's extremely well done.
0: And has respect for those that can best it. Yes. As well. Yes. That's that's the whole, the gun getting given Right, back. and that's the
1: element of Predator, too, to, exactly, yes, to yes,
0: so many questions uh, about the future in this movie <laughs> and how it's supposed to play out. But I also have a question for you, Dan.
1: You do? Well, go ahead, Anna.
0: Is there IR in this movie?
1: Anna? not every smart creature is easy to train, but every smart creature can see the IR in this film. Which is like the original Predator, which we talked about last week. There is just some good meat and potatoes IR in this film, but with a feminist <laughs> twist, I would argue. So the meat and potatoes part, this is just simple realism. So all the actors in this film, from the Predator to the French Trappers to the Comanches, are interested in finding the biggest threat. And that is indeed how Naru outsmarts the Predator in the end. That was the, the sort of clever twist in this film, was Naru realizing that she could kill the Predator by... Because the predator didn't think she was a threat, which didn't mean she wasn't actually a threat, but you know, could take could exploit that misperception to her advantage. And, you know, there are plenty of examples of this. The predator obviously just wants to kill anything that's a threat. The French trapper is perfectly happy to hunt anything and everything. Indeed, the French trapper strategy is to, you know, of, of colonization is in fact to just kill the Comanche's food source, which is why they kill all of those bison out there. Also, much like Kenneth Waltz's version of realism, the purpose of Kutamiya is not to hunt, but to survive. In other words, Waltz as a realist did not say that, that actors were trying to maximize their power. They were just trying to maximize their security. They needed to survive. And in some ways, that is the whole point of the Kutamiya, you know, uh, rite of passage among the Comanches. So that is also simple realism. Now, that said, there is a feminist twist to this, which is there's various strands of feminist theory in IR, but one of the ones is just simple liberal feminism which argues that essentially societies that empower women on the whole will survive and thrive in international politics better than societies that don't that as a general rule in some ways it's sort of an almost and it's like a feminist version of the democratic piece which is that countries that tend to empower women more by giving them franchise the voting franchise or what have you are much less likely to go to war with each other but also when they do go to war are more likely to win because they know they can mobilize the entire resources of the country, including, you know, half the population, which is women. Um, and I think Naru's tribe definitely qualifies here in stark contrast to the French. You know, like the only time I really felt scared for Naru was when she's being held yeah. by the the French trappers. I was, I was like, please, please. Don't go there. Don't go there. And they didn't go there. Mm -hmm. But you—you got the impression that had she stayed with them, they absolutely would have gone there. Yes. Um, So that was good. But the point is, is that as it turns out, the message of societies that you know empower women are going to be empowered themselves.
0: Not the worst message,
1: as as, (laughs) you know, in terms of IR.
0: Yes, the Predator series has some interestingly like woke messaging. I think.
1: Yes, that's actually true. Going back to Anna in the original in the original film, and then also weirdly even in. In the bad Shane Black version of the movie. Yeah. 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 So now I have a question for you, Anna. Oh, yes, Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in this film?
0: Dan, when you hunt capitalism, (laughs) you're hunting something that's hunting you. (laughs) Well done. Well done. This movie has a critique of capitalism. I, I, I alluded to it before. I think that it's not subtle, but also not belabored. Yeah, I would say.
1: Well, like everything uh, in this the, film, it's economical.
0: Yeah, it's economical. That the real enemy is the white man. Yeah, the French, you know, hunt without shame, without mercy. Um, they hunt to excess. Y- you and I had a, had a text exchange about the scene where the buffalo are laid out on the prairie. It's it's disturbing. It's yeah. a disturbing scene. Like they're just masses of skinned buffalo. And you said you had a moment where you thought it was the predator, right, that did this. And I had one of my, one of the tracks in my American history (laughs) undergrad (laughs) degree was Western history. Ah, okay. So I've seen the photos, yes, of exactly that. I think that that scene is in fact based on a photo it it happened actually 100 years later 100 years after the movie takes place Mm -hmm. but once the railroad came around the buffalo in america the bison in america everyone knows this they were hunted almost to extinction millions of them were slaughtered in the course of just a few years Mm -hmm. and they were often slaughtered and just left to rot Mm -hmm. because the point of it (laughs) was not even hunting for sport the point of it was, as you said in the IR section, the point of it was to starve the native population. Right. It was a—it's a really ugly, ugly chapter. Yeah,
1: the—you know—the—the the extermination of the Native Americans on the whole like lots of like yes, starvation <laughs> warfare, chemical warfare, biological warfare. It's not good.
0: Yeah, you and. Obviously, the extermination of the humans <laughs> yes. is the really ugly thing here, but it is it is astonishing to look at those fields of just dead animals.
1: It, leave it this way, know. the methods used were literally savage.
0: Yeah, the message, and that is, again, not uh, subtle, but also not belabored. I did want to ask you, this is not a capitalism thing, yeah. but I wanted to ask you, and maybe it's more IR, uh, or a continuity thing, which is that in the Predator movie, one of the points seems to be that Modern weapons aren't as useful as you think they are. Right. I think this was happening again here. See, I. So. There's a slight problem. Maybe with it's that. just maybe they're maybe they're not just even like going there.
1: No, I th- 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 there's one contradictory note. Like I would say you're by and large correct because like g- the number of times th- this was historically accurate. The number of times the weapons misfired.
0: Yeah, right. I, I, that's what I thought. Totally too. It was believable. Like, and also, yeah. I thought for sure when the, when Raphael was explaining to her how to yeah. use the pistol. Right. I thought the beat was going to be oh well fuck that right like, <laughs> that sounds like a lot of trouble but the problem with the, but but in the end that pistol <laughs> it takes forever right but listeners but, yes. it takes forever oh, it's like, to use a flashlight use license. the powder yeah
1: like, I, I think in some ways that what was funny about that was that as you're hearing the description you realize this is the least efficient weapon yeah. possible yeah. like a good spear yeah. is going to be better but that said to be fair she does like use that gun to uh, to. Not quite blow the predator's head off, but she does wound it, and that's how the mask, you know, she gets the the targeting mask. So yeah. it does play a vital role in her
0: winning in the end that's true. And yeah, yeah. to get back to, to capitalism, like mm-hmm. I like I do, yes. however, yes. I will say that I think this movie does also can continue the critique of the leisure class started <laughs> in the first movie wherein I believe that the predators that come to earth are, Middle managers on vacation, <laughs> looking for a good time. <laughs> they appear to have some rules to their game, and that's great, yeah. but this is conspicuous consumption, Dan.
1: It's an interesting question. Yeah, like, I, I think what we're missing at this point is actually a movie from the Predator's perspective.
0: Yeah, we said that we last, said it last time, time we but we need The to- Rosencrantz and Gilderstern yeah. r- movie from the uh, yeah like what of, would be of, hysterical of is like you know
1: the people who have to man the pre- like you know manage the predator ships like was there leaving it's like oh god this guy again
0: i almost see it as like a fantasy island reboot yes there we go <laughs> where the predators that come to earth this they're fulfilling their fantasy they're like oh i get to go be the big hunter and then there's like a predator mr rourke mm-hmm. up in space like oh shit like, he's going to get killed. Another one's going to get killed. Another one just doesn't really take into account the creativity of this species. Uh, Fair anyway. enough. Uh, oh. Oh. oh, my gosh. It's pieces of people.
1: Oh, ooh, ah, gross. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: it's the debris field. Yes. And this is where we talk about the stuff we didn't already talk about. Always have a few things, at least. Dan, what about you?
1: Just a couple of things. One, again, this was sort of economical storytelling, and I like this in theory, but in practice I wasn't crazy about it. There's a lot of shots, particularly in the beginning, of sort of animals chasing each other, mm. um, and then the predator basically killing the biggest, like the, the the largest of the animal predators. And, like, that was one of those things where I was like, yeah, I like these shots. This is good. The problem is, is the CGI was not great for me, or it didn't work for me. Like, it was obvious these were all CGI animals and so it doesn't in some ways it was jarring relative to the rest of the film because most of this film there's almost no special effects it's just the the special effect is the scenery which is spectacular Mm -hmm. Uh, but i will say like the special effects involving the predator works for me like the cloaking thing and like when it would not occasionally work like that was all really good the animal cgi wasn't great happy about i don't know how to like maybe this is because i like the actor who played tabe so well but like he was so resigned to dying at the end. I wasn't crazy about that. Like, you know.
0: I kind of bought it. Okay. I think maybe this is, a you know, a, a time where being economical in your storytelling can, you know, make it harder to sell this stuff. Yeah. I mean, like, intellectually, he does. But yeah. they were so overpowered. Right. I mean, that's. That's
1: true. Yeah. It's
0: it, What he recognizes, and I think he basically says this, right, yeah. is that. This guy, you know, this thing has all the cards. Right. Well, what?
1: Right? And his point was, he went back to the how he killed the mountain lion, which is he says that yeah. like you weakened it and then I killed it, and it's basically we're going to do that in reverse this time. Right. And I, in some ways, intellectually, he says the right. He says the thing he has to say, which is no, no, no. The predator sees me as the threat. It's going to continue yeah. to go after me, which is fair. But like. I don't know, I was kind of surprised you didn't at least try to make a run for it. I, was, I don't know. It was uh, right. kind of, That said, it was a truly righteous predator kill and I was very happy. I was very yes. satisfied about that. But I was also satisfied, the scene where the predator just kills all of the French trappers was just immensely sad. It honestly might be the most immense, like, satisfying scene in the entire Predator franchise. And this was the discourse on Twitter that pointed out, which I think is absolutely correct. Like, this is one of the directions the Predator franchise can go, which is just plop down the Predator in, like, other settings where it's just surrounded by other Predators that you don't mind if he kills. So add a Predator to the John Wick franchise. (laughs) you know i
0: think predator as john wick that would also be good, would yes. be good.
1: <laughs> Anna, you will appreciate this my contribution to this was add predator to the margin call film where it's like the predator five and, and uh like you need like five predators against the jeremy irons character because right, that's how i think succession
0: would also be a good, good place yes, to, yes, to yes. Drop, drop the predator in.
1: one last thing which is there we'll talk about this a little bit more there's there's lots of callbacks to the predator franchise the one I actually liked the most, which I haven't seen a lot of people talk about, was just the simple last one oh, yeah. of Naru yelling to the Predator, come on, the same way that Schwarzenegger did at the very end of the first film. I don't know, that was just, it, that really worked to me, uh, worked for me.
0: It is somehow better, though. Like, it is, it's not as ridiculous somehow. Like, I right. don't, you know, Schwarzenegger, I, maybe he just goes on too long, but. It is a clear callback. She's even in like a, a similar like physical position, right? And she's
1: got like mud all over at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it might be Mid Thunder might also be a better actor though, Anna. Um, yes,
0: I, possible. Yeah, but yes. like we play this way.
1: One of the things I did buy, and this was crucial for this film, is not just that she is a hunter, but that she enjoys the hunt. And, like, mm-hmm. that's something you had to get a sense of to enjoy this film, yeah. I
0: think. So there are a bunch of Easter eggs. Okay. Yeah. Just, let's just go on with those. This yeah. is kind of my brief field, but also I did Google them. And I caught most of them. Yeah. The line, you should be helping, hmm. said to her, is also said to Anna in the oh, first film.
1: that's right. I've forgotten that. Okay. Yeah.
0: That's right. Yeah. We spoke about how they cut... Tabe. Tabe's chest in the exact same way Billy cuts his own chest. Yeah. It makes more sense mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. in this movie. Yes. There is, of course, if it bleeds, we can kill it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Again, there are better actors in this movie. A lot of the stuff that is a repeat of the lines from the first movie lands so much better. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's just better acting. Right. Also, there's the battlefield surgery, Mm -hmm. which I did not laugh at this time. (laughs) I don't know what that first movie makes it so funny. I think it's the Tredators' incredibly clumsy claws like, manipulating yeah, like, the yeah. battlefield stuff, yeah. and it just looks so awkward. Right. <laughs> and, like, surely the Predator would have different tools and not just be using stuff that looks like human tools. Anyway, this is a question maybe I should have asked earlier, which is, I believe, but just want to make sure, this Predator is supposed to be itself less technologically advanced than the one in the original movie, right? Because the original movie takes place hundreds of years later.
1: Yeah, I think that's safe to say. And uh, we can see that because, like... The predator in the in the original movie like has lasers or like energy weapons that it can fire. Yeah. This predator doesn't have any of that. The predator he has, has only
0: physical weapons. Right, exactly. He's
1: got like you know projectiles. I did like that shield. Like that was actually a pretty cool that, thing. That was a that was a good little thing.
0: As a non gore person, mm-hmm. I will say for people who haven't already seen this movie, although you should see it, and I guess we've already spoiled everything, yeah. but. I appreciated that the gore was judicious. It there is gore. Right, but I would sure. say it's less
1: gory than the than the first film actually.
0: And it it seems pretty God, we have to come up with another word for economical. It's like it's used when it needs to be used. The one It's also suggestive where,
1: more than like in the film as it were.
0: The one death that I had to kind of like turn wins. my head. Yeah. The net that serves as a cheese grater. Oh, that was good. I like that. <laughs> no,
1: no, no, no. That was an awesome device, and I think partly it helps. Again, like it, the clever that actually shows Trachtenberg's skill because you see what's happening. Then the camera pans down. Yeah, and like all oh, you it's then.
0: It's just the idea of it, right? But that's like, the oh, why, that's
1: why it works. Is that what what, yeah. what the movie yeah. does really well is you don't actually see many severed heads or like or certainly <laughs> not in focus or anything like that. But what Trachtenberg does really well in this film is make your imagination do the work that he doesn't have to do
0: i will say mm-hmm. there's a couple places where the predator's uh, code of honor does not we have a, some glitches oh uh, yes one is when he kills poor raphael who is clearly not a threat yeah but maybe he was startled
1: right i would say that might have been just an instinct startled yeah, yeah
0: and the other thing is bombs do not feel very sporting to me like or he has that basically like he 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 drops a thing that's beeping and like all the French oh that's are right like, oh, yeah. what is the beeping yeah thing? that's right, it's not that's a bomb right. but yeah. it's like a it's not a thing that you have to aim and yeah. shoot and have a lot of skill to yes. deploy it's a cool weapon.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> but it just doesn't seem like something well in some ways that's consistent with what I mean the hunter's point of you know the, the macho hunter. here's what I would
1: say about the predator as a, as a general species in this thing which is the predator in theory has a sense of honor and will often abide by it and you know by and large <laughs> abides by it even in this film but doesn't completely abide by it and well, yeah like when the, is human. when the going well no when the going gets tough the predator is like fuck this shit I'm just gonna kill these people you know like that's that's yeah, how I thought about true. that
0: and yeah. we're all hu- we're all flawed yes exactly. uh, you know none of us is perfect not even the predator (laughs) before we close out dan let's talk about the language of the film
1: yeah languages
0: of the film languages of the film Mm -hmm. yes there are three spoken my understanding is that trachtenberg actually wanted to film the entire thing in comanche oh it was not the french speaking but every all all the comanche parts were supposed to be spoken in comanche Mm -hmm. and the actors all auditioned in both english and comanche Oh, damn. Even though some of the actors are not enrolled in that tribe. Right. But they were given short pieces. It wasn't like they had to learn. Comanche And then, you know. And I think it was a wise decision to not do that.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know what? How would I put this? I've always... Actually, and here goes back to the original Predator. The original Predator was directed by John McTiernan. Yeah. One of the best things McTiernan ever did is it one of the opening shots of the hunt for red October where you're in the sub and uh, you're in the Russian sub and you hear the, the character speaking Russian and like the camera zooms in and you hear the character say the word Armageddon and then suddenly it pulls back and he's speaking English. But the clear implication is yeah we are, Hey, let, why, you know, viewers, we are switching from Russian to English. They're still speaking Russian, but we're just doing things, you know.
0: And that is what happens here. Right, but he doesn't... I I wish
1: more people would actually use that establishing shot, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, because we were were saying, I wasn't sure, watching this, are they speaking English or are they speaking Comanche? Because, like, there are times where they actually speak Comanche. Most of the time, they're speaking English. And that was... So, like, I was like... Do they know English? I wasn't entirely In sure about that. In the imagination
0: that. of the film, all that English is Comanche. Which
1: seems more accurate. And I, th- I totally bought that.
0: And there is a dubbed version of Comanche, which apparently everyone was very excited to do. And even Raphael learned Comanche for his oh, good for part him. where he speaks to Naru yeah. and it's the only the only the second film in america <laughs> ever put out in a indigenous language the other one being star wars uh-huh. and everyone's just super excited about this movie i think and it's true we're seeing a kind of renaissance of indigenous people doing really cool films and television uh-huh. there's reservation dogs uh-huh. Also on, Hulu. Rutherf- also on Hulu. There's Ruther- Rutherford Falls, mm-hmm. which is on Peacock, mm-hmm. and then Dark Winds, which is the Tony Hillerman adaptation, which was the first TV series ever filmed at a studio owned by Native people oh. and has an, had an almost entirely Native crew. Interesting. So, cool stuff happening in that regard the one thing
1: i would add by the way which is well i actually like this choice is there is some french spoken in this film as we talked about mm-hmm. there's no subtitles whatsoever you know and i actually thought that was effective because you don't really need to know what they're saying necessarily and it adds a little bit of like mystery in terms of like trying to you know it what
0: out. i thought that was effective about that yeah. it is that naru and tabe would not understand Right,
1: exactly it. so it puts you it situates you in naru and tabe's yeah. position which i liked
0: yeah, so our next show is going to be what we did on our summer vacation, and then after that, I should have mentioned this up top. We're doing a mailbag episode, yep. and I put it in the newsletter that is actually coming out today. Okay, please send your questions. It's like an AMA, mm-hmm. but
1: but recorded not <laughs>
0: recorded recorded
1: and more thought recorded. out recorded yes.
0: and more thought out yes. please send your questions to mail at gmail.com if you could put mailbag in the subject line it might make it easier for me to find and I would appreciate that but yeah ask us anything in the form of an email and we'll answer it mm-hmm. I think that'll be fun yeah and until then Dan
1: keep this channel open for more